Hey, are you guys having a, a good time? This conference is great, isn't it? Yeah, give it up. You know, one of the reasons I like bringing our church here is because they get a challenge, or the blessing, but also the challenge, to see the servants working so hard and see what it looks like to, you know, put on a, a, a servant event. It's pretty impressive. Really, really am blessed by coming down here. Well, um, I think we're going to get underway. So why don't we shut those doors? And, and somebody told me that this class is really similar to the one out there. That's one on, so, yeah, being a good husband, <laughs> standing firm in suffering. <laughs> no, so I didn't say that. Somebody said it. I just repeated it, Chuck. Don't you dare tell my wife. Well, standing firm in suffering. I, I have to say that I wonder if I got assigned this because I'm a, I'm a loud whiner. <laughs> so they're like, you need to, you know, go through this lesson. I, I hope, though, it has more to do with um, a bit of a ordeal that um, not just I can't say that if I'm married, right? Because we have gone, my wife and I, and actually our family has gone through a bit of an ordeal in the last year and a half. And um, it, it started with a little spot on the back of my neck. And I've got some pictures that I'll show you after we pray. Well, there's the first one. But uh, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much. Lord, for this time that we could come, come away, step aside from, Lord, the, the busyness of schedules and all of that that goes on. And God, just hear from you. And Lord, I, I pray that our time, Lord, before you, speaking of this issue that we all face at different times to different degrees, Lord, that you would uh, just use it, Lord. Use it in each one of our lives, God, to ready us for what's ahead, ready us for even what's, what we're right in the throes of. And I just thank you again, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. In your precious name, amen? amen? Okay, so here's just a, a real quick shot of what took place about a year and a half. That's, that's the spot, I call it, the spot that started it all. The little dots around it are um, just the doctors, but they had to take that off. And that was right here on the back of my neck, and that was the biopsy they took. And that brought me to some, some appointments down in Mayo, and that was right before the first operation in April of last year. And then I got this cool-looking scar on my neck. I have to say, the guys, were, the guys at men's prayer, it was like the week after this, I was at men's prayer and they were like, man, you should have had them leave the pocket open so you could have put your wallet in there. <laughs> and guys were, they were calling me, you know, Pez. <laughs> there I was back for more tests. I, um, those are some of the grandkids that were with me just before the, the last big surgery, which was in, in July a year ago. There's the doc. You'll see another picture of him, not the pregnant one, but the, the little short guy. And that's what he took out. They found another chunk of, of cancer in a vein. And that doctor told me he had been doing it for 30 years and had never seen melanoma cancer in a vein. That's moments after I, I look like I'm 
on drugs. Well, I think I was, <laughs> thankfully. There's my family. She is, um, and she's the rock. She's Kim Fine, my bride of 30, 40 years, and she came through it all with me. Look at that. That's not enhanced, by the way. That's like really cool bruises. And um, there's our daughter, Tor. She came by from Tucson to see me and went through a lot of recovery. And there's some more grandkids. That oldest one on the top right there, he's getting baptized on Sunday. He's turning, turning nine here, and we're baptizing him. His dad is a pastor as well. Excuse me, his grandfather. And so that's a pretty sweet scene. So um, had two surgeries, April and July, and about a, three days after my final surgery, um, I came down with a, a blood infection, and that was what really almost killed me. I was back in the hospital for another week, and then on um, antibiotics, there they are, that's the PICC line. I don't know if you're familiar with those. They put them in here, and they stick it right up next to your heart. So my, my wife was administering the drugs to me, the antibiotics, for uh, six weeks. That's a crew out of Mexico. I went down there for treatment um, by choice. Um, young kid had, had cancer. But there's my doc, and that's, that's like after he released me in September of a, you know, a year ago. And his, his name, you ready for this? He's a really good doctor. He's vascular surgeon for 30 years. His name is Dr. Money. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't think he even changed his name. But um, there's a picture I took with a verse that, that meant a lot to me. But, um, you know, guys, there, there's a, a number of quotes I'm going to share, I, I hope are encouraging. But, um, you know, Charles Schultz did Peanuts, right? So a quote from him says, in the book of life, the answers aren't at the end or in the back. And I have to say that there's a, there's a statement made by him that I, I, can't, I can't agree with or I can't say I, I agree with because we know from the Bible that we call what? The book of life, right? It's our book for life, for spiritual instruction. Jesus said in it, in the Gospels in chapter 16, you, many of you know this, but he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. For, can you finish it with me? In this world, you will have tribulation. And then what's the end? I love the tagline. But be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Isn't that cool? What a cool perspective. He's not even gone to the cross yet, right? And yet he could say that as though it was done. So it's, it's a really good perspective to have especially when we're going through this thing we call human suffering, the challenges and trials that go on in this life. Paul wrote in Philippians in chapter 1 that we have not only been granted the privilege of coming to Christ and knowing salvation, but Paul also said that we've been granted to suffer as he suffered. To, to come alongside of him in his sufferings. You know, there's a saying that, that says, it's not if we will go through trials that should be asked, but rather how we will go through those trials that should be pondered in our life. In other words, 
as Edmund Clooney put it, I don't think he's related to anyone we don't like today in Hollywood, but he said this, trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, they should actually cause us to be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen us and to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. At least that's what they're meant to do. One of my life's verse, you can see it in my office at the church, but it's out of Philippians. You might know the verse again, 4.13. For in Christ I can do all things, amen? Through Christ, because of Christ, I can do all things in his strength because of what he supplies. And you know, this latest of struggles for me, even though it is, in a sense, a year old, you know, since my last surgery, and it's been a few months since my last scan, which, praise the Lord, was clear. I'm still on a couple of different drugs and, and a lot of different supplements, you know, every day. My wife is, you know, as they always do, taking much of the brunt of it, you know, within her heart and mind. But that latest suffering that I have, you know, come through has provided me an opportunity to walk the truth of that, my life's verse, out. Not just to, you know, know it with my lips or have it in my mind or even say, oh, it's in my heart, but to actually walk it out in this life. I have, I believe, been prompted by the Lord through this ordeal with this truth. And, and if you're a note taker, put this down because I think it's, it's profound. Sufferings, trials, they can and they will rock us. But they need not wreck us, guys. They'll rock our world. Can I get an amen? And yet they need not wreck us. Charles Spurgeon said, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they, <laughs> they let us see what we are made of. Now I believe as we take in sufferings, as we analyze them, as many of us like to do that, kind of put it out there and try to figure it out. Anybody try to figure out that kind of stuff? Well, I've come to believe and really I'm convinced that sufferings, that those things that we encounter in this life, they're, they come from three different roots or three different roads and they are very different sources. Number one, is sufferings are a consequence of the world in which we live in, the fallen world in which we are a part of. That's how some of the sufferings that we have, we experience, that's where they come from. It's just the consequences of, we can blame it on Adam and Eve, right? It's the fall. Number two, sufferings are the consequences of foolish sinners, okay? Mm, I, I think I heard a groan. <laughs> And number three, sufferings are the consequence at times 
simply of faithful service. Now, to be honest with you, okay? To be honest with you, I have suffered very little from number one, that is, from the fallen world. You've seen pictures, you, you want to touch my scar, <laughs> you want to see more pictures, you know. And yet I would say I've suffered very little because of a fallen world. And I've also suffered very little because of number three, that is, from faithful service. And I'm, you know, you got to take a broad picture when you, you count up and you categorize your suffering. Because when you say, man, I'm suffering for the Lord, well, let's compare ourselves to the pastors in Iran or China or the saints that have gone before and died at the stake, right? Why? For translating the Bible? Yeah, so I've suffered very little. And primarily, my suffering has come from hmm, foolish sinners. And if you're wondering, I am primarily that foolish sinner that I suffer because of. John Newton said of trials and sufferings that they are the medicine in which our gracious and wide, wise physician prescribes because we need them. And he proportions and the frequency and the weight of them depending on what the case requires. You know, there is a place that we need to come to that we truly give ourselves over to what the Lord allows. You know, as we, as we think on the sufferings of mankind, or again, our, our personal trials and sufferings, we know that they are not all ordained of God. We could say some of the sufferings that we endure are because of our, again, our foolishness. God kind of lets us go on a wild rampage and then he corrects his children, right? And we would say that some of that is suffering. But not all of our suffering is God-ordained. But what I have found in whatever road they come at me from, again, the fallen world, my own foolishness, or others' foolishness, or the challenges that we face because we serve Jesus. What I have found so incredible is God shows up in all of them. God can redeem all of those different elements of our acquiring of suffering and going through trials. Now, Peter comes along and he, he re-emphasizes what we read Jesus say. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And he says, Peter does in his first letter in chapter 4, Beloved, he's speaking to the church, don't be surprised. <laughs> don't let it blow you off course at the fiery trial. And then he says this, when it comes, as Jesus said, you will not you might, but you will encounter tribulation. Pete backs that up by saying, when they come upon you to test you, and that, that term in the original is to 
be refined, to be tried by fire, as he indicates with that term, the fiery trial. He says, don't be surprised as though it's some strange thing that is happening to you. Maybe you have been or somebody else in your life that's gone through or is in the midst of a suffering or a trial, they've asked questions. And, and one of the most human ones and really fleshly ones to ask is, why? Ever heard that one? You ever demanded the answer to that one in your own life? Rather, we should say, what, Lord? Not why, Lord? Because he could certainly answer back to that question, why not you? Why not now? You know, as you look at this ordeal and, you know, please understand that I'm not trying to outdo you. I'm really just using my scars to get your attention. <laughs> but when we go through these things, we can come to, you know, the end of ourselves. And, and our tendency can be, why God? And yet God quite literally should be coming back to us with that answer. Why not you? You know, if, if there's something that Kim and I, my wife and I, have really come to grasp in this, our latest trial or suffering, it's, you know, sometimes it's only by us getting in that tight place, that challenging circumstance, cancer, the big C word. It's only then that he can get a hold of us more clearly, but he can also reach others more specifically. It's only through those times of suffering. And so I, again, come back to that. The question we should look to ask in our times is, what, Lord? What is it? Or maybe who, Lord? Who is it? Though I'm not trying to, again, outdo you in your suffering and say that mine are worse or mine are more dramatic or my, mine are more spiritual because of, you know, no. But what I, what I can say, guys, is mine, as well as any of ours, our sufferings can get the attention of us, but they can also be the opportunity to get the attention of someone else. A lost world. A lost world that has cancer. And when they see us, you know, we had a ton of appointments in this last year and a half. Down at Mayo, going back and forth, you know, a couple of times in a week from the Four Corners to Phoenix and in those cancer wards to see people that are in the throes of their suffering. And the Lord has said, okay, they need to see another side, the side of hope, the side of faith, the side of peace. <laughs> and I've put you there just for that. But my sufferings have also given me an opportunity to choose. And I, I think that comes with with any path that we go down with the Lord. There's choices, amen? And with our sufferings, we have a choice. 
I, I've come to realize that my choice is either to fall in, excuse me, to fall into or to dive into the pit of despair, you know, woe is me, again the question, why God? Or for me to present myself to him who knows, to give myself to him and say, okay, God, I don't get this. You know, you saw a bit of my family. We've got two grown kids, two of the greatest in-law children that you could imagine, even though one is a preacher's kid. <laughs> we got nine grandbabies. We've got, you know, I, I married to, well, she was in high school, I wasn't, when we met and married a few years later. Just, you know, we, we have a full life and, and, and yet here comes the C word and we're going, wait a minute. But I tell you a prayer, a prayer that we had as we drove to my first surgical appointment in April of last year. And it was a simple prayer. It wasn't even a thought out prayer. You know, we're driving down and I just began to pray again. And I said, Lord, let this be about something more than me having cancer. Let this be about who we might love on and share the gospel with as we go through this. At that point, didn't imagine having that other surgery that got, you know, the, the rest of my neck that it really looks like they almost cut my head off. <laughs> but we prayed that prayer and you, you saw Dr. Money. He's the guy that came in before the surgery and, you know, surgeons, they're, they're kind of bright guys, especially the, you know, the ones that interact with the details. I guess all of them are details of our, our body, but this guy's a pretty brilliant man. We'd met him a couple of times in those prep, you know, meetings, but he came in and he came in, you know, and I've got the grandkids sitting on the bed and, you know, I'm, you ever been shaved for a surgery? That's really weird. So I didn't shave myself. It was actually a, a female nurse that came in and she had to shave my chest and my, you know, my arms and my wife was standing there and was like, this is really strange. <laughs> but Dr. Money comes in, you know, and they, as they all do, the surgical team kind of comes in one by one and, hey, I'm the, the guy that's going to drug you up today and hopefully you'll come out of it. The, the anesthesiologist, right? And, and all the different groups and Dr. Money comes in and, and he was about to leave and I said, hey, doc, I love their, their common name, right? Doc. Hey, doc, can, I, I just want you to know this. That, you know, a bunch of people have been praying for us. He knows by this time that I'm a pastor. And, and I just said to him, I, I said, we want you to know that not only have they been praying for me, but they've been praying for you and your team. And, and at that point, I, I kind of felt like he responded to me like I was that little puppy, you know. Oh, how nice. You know, he didn't come over and pat me, but it was just that look, you know, like, oh, one of those. Yeah. You're praying for me. Hey, I'm going to have all the tools. I've got the brain, you know. Seven and a half hours later, after the surgery, he comes out 
and actually the surgery wasn't over because he had done his stuff and then the gal that had to zip me back up. And that one picture with the black circle around it, you can call me um, titanium man because I've got a titanium weave. If you've ever had open heart surgery, you know what that's like. He comes out as I'm, you know, being bound back up and he makes a, a, a beeline for my wife, which is, again, pretty normal. But you know what he said to her? He was very serious. I, I wasn't there, but my wife passes on. He goes, you tell those people that were praying, you tell them thank you. Because in my 30 years, I've never had a more difficult surgery that went so smoothly. How cool. Yeah. You saw the picture. I think I had the same shirt on. I didn't even recognize that until I just looked at that picture. But that was the picture that was just taken this a year ago this month. Yeah, that one. So he's just sat down with me, you know, at the beginning of this disappointment, make sure I've got feeling and I can move and, you know, just checking me all out and my blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. That took about 15 minutes. And then Dr. Money, in this same appointment, he sits back in his chair, guys, and he goes, so what's that like to start a church? I haven't seen him for over a month. And I'm, you know, we got a little Calvary Chapel up in the four corners of New Mexico. Who am I to him? I think he's seen a few guys, you know, since me. And yet, out of nowhere, he sits back and gives me the next 25 minutes to share my, my testimony and to talk about Jesus and to, to share the gospel. He didn't get on his knees and come to Jesus at that moment or any other moment that I've known. But you know what God did? He gave us an opportunity to go, okay, God, this is about something much bigger. And Kim and I, <laughs> we walked out of that appointment going, wow, God, you still answer prayers. And I don't know. Hopefully in eternity, I'll meet him again. I hope I never meet him <laughs> in the meantime, again. <laughs> but maybe Dr. Money, with that seed that's been planted now, maybe one day he'll come to know Jesus. And maybe there was no other way that, but through the suffering that we had to endure, could he have been engaged like that to watch what we had gone through. Because he wasn't my, my first surgeon, but he knew about the first surgery, which led to the second surgery that he was in the throes of. And then he had, he had the willingness to go, hmm, what, what is this? What, what do you got? And what does Jesus say about our lives? He says that we are the salt of the earth. We got a really good example of what salt does in this community, right? Not just Berlin, but the Southwest. Eat a lot of salty chips and what do you need? <laughs> you need some, some liquid to go down. It makes you thirsty. And guys, if we had nothing else to do but to shine the light and cause Dr. Money to be a little thirsty for what is out there, praise God, Amen. Adoniram Judson, I think I said his name right. You know who he is? 
If you've never read his biography, you should get a hold of it. He's a 24-year-old kid at the turn of the 19th century. So this is the early 1800s. You know what we had just become as a nation? A nation. Okay? So it's 1805, I think. And he gets it on his heart to become the first missionary from the America or the, from the U.S. to go out. And he wants, he, he's going to go to India. Lord's put that on his heart. He spends the, five, the next five decades doing just that. Taking his first wife with him. And yes, I said first. First of three. His first two died on the mission field. His first child died stillborn on the way over to India on their first venture. They would go on to lose at least, I believe if I remember right, eight children that is between his first two wives. Eight children on the mission field. You know where he ended up being buried? You'd like this, Chuck. He got buried at sea. You know why he was at sea? He was sick again. Deathly sick. The doctor said, you got to go out on the ocean. He was in the, in the midst of a populated area there that was very unhealthy. And they said, get out into the fresh air. And about a week out, he passed. And they wrapped him up and tipped him overboard. His graveyard is the Indian Ocean somewhere. My point in that is this guy had a few things to say about suffering. And he put it in this nutshell. He says, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by an infinite and loving and merciful God, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. And yet he did, and so he did. He put himself into the hands of God who knows. Folks, if we dare, guys, if we dare to look beyond our own trial, God doesn't just show up, though he does and desires to meet with us. He will minister to us and he will equip us for what needs to happen in the midst of that trial. Another passage you're probably thinking I was going to go there anyway, so I'm going to go there. It's out of James chapter 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. He says there to start it off, count it all joy, brethren. That sounds like a really good opener, right? <laughs> Until you, you read the, the rest of the story. The rest of the verse says, when, again, lining up with Peter, lining up with Jesus, when you meet various trials. Not if, but when. Verse 3 goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Hmm. A couple things to note there. Again, it's not if, but when. And we will meet them. <laughs> it's kind of a funny word. I, I pondered that for just a moment when I was 
doing these notes and it's kind of like, you know, the beginning, anybody a, a football fan? I know it's, it's almost like sacrilegious to admit that these days with what they're doing with that game. I'm, here, I'm going to really let you down. I'm an Oakland Raiders fan. <laughs> back, when, back when Stabler is, was in the pocket and there was a white guy that was a receiver and he was my hero, right? Because, yes, Bolitnikov, there it is. I also was born and bred in the Bay Area, so it was only the 49ers or Oakland, so give me a break. And, and the main reason I'm a, 40, or I'm a Raiders fan is because of this. Oh, I see how Christian you guys are when you respond to that. <laughs> but you know the beginning of the game? What happens? Like before the game literally starts, they have the toin toss, right? Or the toin, coin toss, excuse me. Imagine this verse. It says, James again says, when you meet various trials, it's like you're the one team and you go out to the middle and you're shaking hands with the trials. Hi, I'm trial number one. I'm going to face you on the front line. Hi, I'm trial number two. I'm, I'm one of the linemen or one of the, what are they called right behind the, yeah, the linebackers. And, and I'm going to sack you every time I get, right? And you're meeting them. <laughs> You're, you're coming across them. You're, you're engaging them. And then in verse 3, he uses this term, and it's, it's an idiom, a Jewish idiom, of the intimacy between a husband and a wife. It's that term, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know it. It's gnosko. It's to come to an intimate comprehension of. Read that again. For you know... You understand this. You've come to comprehend that the testing of your faith produces, there's this byproduct that comes out of the trials and the sufferings. It's a steadfastness. But he says of that in verse 4, let that steadfastness, what do you conjure up when you think of steadfastness? I, I, I'm a Coastie. I, I served in the Coast Guard for half a dozen years. And, you know, there were people that were steadfast on the, on the deck of a boat or a ship, depending on what size, you know. Talk to Navy guys, they think they're all on ships, but there were some boats too. But a guy that was steadfast on the deck, he didn't waver. He could, you know, roll with the seas. And he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Guys, there's a process that the Lord is drawing us to him through the testing, the trial, the suffering that we will encounter. It reminds me of what Paul would go on to say when he declared godliness with contentment is great gain. See, again, it, it's... It's the walking out of our faith that really impacts not just us, but those around us. Godliness, what we, what we take in, what we hear and, and, and we allow to in some ways affect our, our hearts. Man, when, when it is drawn through a time of trial and suffering, that's when it has its full effect. And James goes on and he says, here's why. He says, that it may be 
or excuse me, that you may be, what's the next word? Perfect. Or we would also translate that mature or mature. Grown up spiritually, steadfast, and complete, lacking in nothing. And then verse five, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. How does God give? Graciously, thankfully, he gives graciously to us, amen, all who ask. And he gives without reproach. He doesn't, you know, look down his, no, his nose at us and go, hmm, no, not today. I don't feel like it. Or, no, not in this circumstance. You, you've been a little, you know, little haywire. No. It says that if we will go to him and ask that he gives without reproach because he wants us to shine. He wants us to succeed through our sufferings, guys. Now, I'd be a liar if I stood here and said, I never doubted, never had me any down times in this last affair with suffering. I, I've never been troubled. No, I'd be a liar. And hospital pillows were full of my tears many nights, wondering, hmm. You know, when they, when they tell you at those prep meetings for a surgery, you might bleed out. Not a real good chance, but, you know, we just, we need to tell you that. Kind of makes you feel weird lying down and going, okay, one, two, three. You know, that's how you count when the, they give you the drugs, right? You don't remember getting to five. And then you wake up. Praise the Lord, I woke up. Although, I guess, you know, in some ways it would have been okay. <laughs> in the greatest of ways. There were many times that I had to, we had to, just cry out to the Lord and ask for wisdom and ask for his care and ask for his strength to be given to us. But again, and the opportunities. And I see you. You know, I love my family and praise God they love me back. And we have a, a sweet relationship. You know, my oldest boy, who's much bigger than I am, he's 33. And any day he's over, he'll come up and kiss me right on the cheek. Big hug and I kiss him back. And he was doing that. He had brought his family. And one of the unique things about Mayo is they let you have family right in the ICU. You ever seen that before? I mean, little kids. I had my little grandkid, not even a year. You saw him in that picture. And so we were just, you know, engaging with one another as a family. They live in Phoenix. It was much easier than my, my daughter who lives down in Tucson. And she got there too. But, you know, on one of those occasions as, as we were literally getting moved out of ICU, or I was, the nurse came to my, my wife in tears. And she's like, you know, I've been faltering in my faith. I've been, you know, just feeling just so lukewarm. And you could, she had the lingo. You knew she'd been around the church. She's been, you know, engaged with a spiritual life at some point. And yet with tears running down her face, she's like, I just prayed because I just prayed that God would send me some encouragement. 
And she goes, watching you guys just love on each other and not be like so many other families without hope. It's been such a catalyst, she said, for her. And man, she hugged everyone and we prayed with her. And guys, opportunities like that, when we're right in the throes of suffering, that's what God desires us to be. What do they say? People in the world, we might be the only Bible that they ever encounter. What are they reading? What are they coming across? As our, our pages are literally flipped in front of them. I remember Pastor Chuck saying that getting through trials is determined by our perspective or the attitude of our eyes. Is our perspective on God or is our attitude on our circumstance, on our suffering? James gives us insight into the how-to. They think we're often looking for the how-to. As it is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Man, that's a powerful verse. But it's an impacting one too, guys. I want to draw your attention to a word again, a word that you may know from that passage. <laughs> it's hupomone as far as my Greek goes. And I'm no scholar. But the, the idea behind that term, well, it, it's, it's meted out or it's, it's given to us with those terms, remains steadfast under. I think John Corson said, it's to stay under the spout where the blessings come out. But it just so happens that to stay there is to stay under the pressure that God is applying to our lives through times of trial. Where he is, he is seeking to cause us to be formed more completely into our Savior's image. As Paul put it, from glory to glory, amen? Amen. But we must be the willing vessel that stays steadfast, that remains under that place of pressure. And what our tendency is to do? <laughs> oh, I missed that one. Just sidestep that one. Oh, there's too much pressure. I'm going to dodge it, right? That can be our tendency. God, this is too much for me. And yet the Bible says that he knows he knows just what we can go through. Doesn't say what we can handle, but he knows what we can go through with his divine, supernatural intervention. Supply. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not on my own. But as I give myself over in the midst of the most trying of times, and, and what a blessing to know that once they come and when they go, and I have to say, if, if you don't understand it yet, the time of that completion of them coming and going is when we enter glory, 
not when we reach retirement age or have done ministry for so many years and then all the pressure's gone. No, it's in God's timing. It's when he is finished doing that and that will be when we enter glory. Guys, trials and sufferings are no doubt a struggle. They're difficult. You can say amen to that, <laughs> especially if you're old, older than, you know, 30 years old. You know what that's really all about or you're beginning to understand. Never would have imagined the C word being in, you know, Kim just looked at me last week. We've, we've experienced death from afar and not too far off a number of times in the last couple of weeks. I did a funeral on Wednesday to a precious lady that had been a part of a church of a, of a couple that had really just gotten back on track and a heart attack took her out. The week before, it was a dear friend that I graduated with, high school in Prescott, Arizona. So he's my age, late 50s. He's out at a hunting camp with his whole family, his grandkids all interacting and everything. He comes down with a fever. Four days later, they get him to Flagstaff. 12 hours later, he's dead. Two weeks before that was another man. He got cancer seven months ago. Bam. Struggles are real, guys. Suffering is real. And as we see, it's guaranteed. We're gonna engage in them. Or maybe we should say, we're gonna come across them. We will meet them. <laughs> How will we go through them? And yet, I hope you understand this. With all the pictures, sufferings are much more than physical. In fact, they're not even primarily a physical thing in our life. They're primarily a spiritual thing. God's trying to do this spiritual work in us. And that's what we have to disengage our, our physical understanding of things and go, okay, God, this is about your eternal glory, not our physical comfort. Watchman Nee, another author you should get a hold of, but he said this, to remove warfare from a spiritual life is to render it unspiritual. Life, is a, life in the spirit is a suffering way. It's filled with watching and laboring. It's burdened by weariness and trial, and it's punctuated by heartbreaking conflict. It is a life utterly outpoured for the kingdom of God and lived in complete disregard for one's personal happiness. Guys, if I can tell you anything that we've learned, it's trials here. They are what can, and I pray do, cause us to cling to the cross to run to the cross. George Mueller, another great missionary of sorts, as he was not a man of England and yet had a 
number of decades old ministry that's still in some ways operational, but he reached out to the urchant kids on the streets of England and set up camp in Bristol primarily where he served hundreds, thousands of kids. And he said this, if we desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from the opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore through trial be strengthened. Sufferings, trials, they are our refiner's purifying fire. And you know that God's got a sense of humor, right? You know that? Everybody know that? Okay, we're talking about some deep, you know, striking things in our hearts. But you know, God has a sense of humor. I know that. You know my last name? Who knows my last name? Fine. <laughs> so God often says to me, you need to be refined. Again and again and again. Re-refined. Because it's a process, guys. I pray that our sufferings and the trials that you have yet to encounter, those that you are in the midst of encountering, those that you have come through, I pray that they will and they have compelled you and I to, as Paul said, press in, walk on. As Jesus said, abide in me. I pray that they would do just that. Cause us to draw to the Lord. I want to end with another statement from the Lord and a final quote and an invitation, guys. Here's the statement Jesus said a chapter earlier in John's gospel. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they too will persecute you. There's the most serious type of suffering, isn't it? And by the way, I, I think that's the most challenging to get through is the suffering that we encounter when we serve Jesus because we can, you know, go, God, wait a minute, I was just serving you and look what's happening. Whether it's within the church or with outside the church that it comes, it will come at times. Jesus promised it. But Jesus puts it in perspective. Hey, if they persecuted me, the righteous one, the only righteous one, be assured, they too will persecute you. And here's the quote. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. And yet, the love of God did not protect his own son. And he will not necessarily protect us. Not from anything that it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. You know who said that? Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. You know who she was? The wife of a murdered missionary to the Inca Indians. A woman who went and took over her husband's work to those same people. Not to challenge you with, you know, the words of a woman, because I think those are spiritual words ultimately. 
but to realize that we all, we all need this perspective, that we're gonna face them, we're gonna go through them. So here's the invite. If you're here, you're in the midst of a suffering. You've got a trial that's like number 10 going through the roof. Maybe for you, it's, you know, you need a, a different perspective. You need to be, you know, under the spout. You need staying power. Maybe for you, it's a trust factor. You need to trust the Lord in this. You need to present yourself to the one who knows. Here's the invite, guys. If that's you, we're gonna close in prayer. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. So just raise your hand to the Lord and say, I need the Lord's strength in this. I need a new perspective. I need staying power. Father, you see your sons. And Lord, you know the pressures, the trials, the suffering, the fatigue that has come through that. God, the, the faltering in their faith that they're in the midst of. And Lord, because you walked this earth and you dealt with this life, you know what they need and you know how, perfectly how to meet them in that. So God, do. Meet my brothers. Lord, meet, meet me. Meet my wife. Lord, meet our families. And God, cause us to draw near to you and to allow you to do what you need to do. You, the one who knows. We thank you, God. We even thank you for suffering. For it's in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. God bless you guys.